What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Several years ago, we began talking about the possibility of building a new facility over here in the woods. Many of you were here. You were around that time. The services were very packed. You had to get here super early to get a good seat. Things have changed slightly after the um, pandemic, but, but nonetheless, I have an idea of how we could effectively build a new building. My idea is, first of all, for to us to get seven men, and um, any of you men would do just fine. And what I'm going to get you to do is I'm going to get all of you men to carry the communion table. We're going to put the elements, we're going to put the bread, and we're going to put the grape juice on there. And... Uh, What we'll do is we'll have to also go to Walmart. We're going to have to get some tents. And we're going to tent and camp out here in the yard. But for for six days, we're going to march around uh, the woods here. We're going to do this. Um, I know you might think I'm crazy, but this is an idea. I want to run it by you and let you, let, please let me know what you think. Um, and, and we also need seven people to get either a, a saxophone or a trumpet or some kind of horn or brass instrument that you can blow on. And what we'll do for six days, we're going to march around this wooded area. Six days. It might take a couple of hours. I don't know how slow some of you might be or fast some of you might be. But then what we're going to do is we're going to gather together. We're going to get in the tent and stay the night here on the property. But on the seventh day, we're going to march around the wooded area here seven times. And then we're going to blow those trumpets and those saxophones and those horns as loud as we can. And we're going to shout praise to God. And what's going to happen is an earthquake is going to take place. And out of the rubbles is we're going to see a new fancy church building ascend up out of the ground. And there we will meet together and worship. You think it's a good idea? <laughs> you think it'll work? Do you think that uh, that would defy all odds of construction? Defy all odds of modern innovation of how to build a new facility. Yeah, we're talking from from the ground up. Yeah, we are. That's how you build a building, right? You don't start from the top and go down. You start from the ground up. Obviously, you would be saying, Brian, that is absolutely absurd. That is crazy. We would never build a building that way. Well, the reality is, is that's very similar to how God told Joshua and the Israelites of how they were going to defeat the people of Jericho. The title of my message today is simply The Faith of Israel, Part 2. It's interesting, in the book of Hebrews, we see that that Christ is being presented as very superior to anything the Old Testament had to offer. uh, offer. I I believe, I lean towards Paul is writing this letter. I might be wrong about that, but it really doesn't matter. The point is that God wrote this letter through his human agent that has remained unknown. And the words we're reading are inspired words of God. And in verse number one of chapter 11, we see an explanation of what faith is. But then in in verse two, all the way down really to to the end of the chapter, we see an example of how faith is to be lived out. But then it's interesting in verse number 29 and verse number 30. It's different than any of the other verses of the Bible here in chapter 11 because all of the others are focused 
focusing on a key individual, whereas verse 29 and verse 30 are specifically focusing on a specific event. So you have an explanation of faith, you have examples of faith, then you have events of faith. Now, I do think it's interesting that whenever you're studying Hebrews chapter 11, you have to pause and reflect upon what is written and what is not written. Because it's very obvious in verse 29, it should be the faith of Moses leading the people of Israel, whereas the writer of Hebrews says it's the faith of Israel. And then as you read verse 30, in my opinion, it should be the faith of Joshua leading the Israelites. But that's not how it's recorded. It says, by faith, they, referring to the congregation, excuse me, it says here, by faith, the walls of Jericho, not just Israelites, but by faith, Israel had faith that the walls of Jericho would come tumbling down, as the song says, after they were surrounded and circled for seven days. Now, I know that this would sound crazy in our mind of building a building in the woods, but it would sound even crazier in the ancient world with Joshua coming to the Israelites and saying, hey, I have this new idea. <laughs> it might be a little progressive and a little modern, but I think what we're going to be able to do is we're going to defeat these people of Jericho. We're going to capture that king and we're going we're to have victory. And he began to display to them the way in which they would do it by circling the city and blowing trumpets and giving a shout. That would be totally foreign to the ancient Near Eastern cultures of how you do combat, not a bow and an arrow, not a sword and a shield, not a horse or any other animal that they might ride into battle, no uh, cannons, no fire, no torches, none of that stuff. He said, we're going to walk around, and it's interesting here, those walls came tumbling down all by faith. Now, as I think about this title, The Faith of Israel, Part 2, if I could extend that, it would be two words, crazy faith. Could you try something with me? Could this side say crazy and this side say faith? Let's try it. Crazy faith. Crazy faith. Now let's switch it up here. Crazy faith. Crazy faith. Now let's all do it together. Crazy faith. I believe what we're seeing in Joshua chapter 6 and in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30 is this idea of crazy faith. This idea that the world is looking on and the world is mocking. The world is scoffing. The world is ridiculing. Whereas what is also interesting as I read this text, is Joshua is leading them after Moses. And it's interesting, from verse 29 to verse 30, there's a period of silence for 40 years. The reason why is, is because when you begin to read the wilderness journey, there's very little means of the Israelites acting out in faith to God. In fact, they're a lot like us many times. For 40 years, they exemplified what it is like not to live a life measured up by crazy faith. But then here comes a new generation, a new general, a new commander named Joshua on the scenes. And I believe he's teaching us this thought. And it's this thought I want to relay into your mind today. Crazy faith radically obeys God. Crazy faith radically obeys God. 
The word faith, remember, it is total reliance and dependence upon God for everything. First of all, for salvation. God is the one we depend on to save us from our sins. Second of all, for protection. God is our source of protection in every area of our lives. And third of all, God is our source of provision. He is the one who provides for us in every means necessary. So we have to live by faith. We get that. We know that. But here there's times in the life of Israel and the life of the church that God calls us to live with radical commitment to God that looks crazy to the rest of the world. And this, my friends, is pretty radical if you ask me. No other culture, no other Canaanite group of people, no other people in the ancient world saw people conquer other areas by this strategy. Imagine our military officers walking into the Oval Office and say, President, this is how we're going to conquer some other nation. We're going to walk around the country. We're going to walk around the capital. We're going to blow Trump. And see, we scoff at it. I mean, it'd be, be utter foolishness. The reason why I think God chose to use this method is so that the Israelites would realize that it is God fighting their battles. And so that the surrounding nations would realize that, hey, you can worship all those other pagan gods, but they do not compare to the one true God who demands man's worship. So here's a question I've been pondering in my own heart. How does crazy faith radically obey God? I mean, if crazy faith radically does obey God, how, how does it exactly radically obey God? Notice our pe passage here in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, say faith with me, faith. This idea of faith, remember, is total reliance and dependence upon God for everything. And it says that they were looking to God to give victory through the walls of Jericho falling down. And then it says, after they were compassed, or in other words, encircled or surrounded or walking around for seven days. Days. Now, with this verse in mind, I think it's important that we know that the writer of Hebrews is summarizing many of these key people and figures of the Old Testament. But in order to get the full context of what's going on, even though you've probably heard this story a bajillion, million, billion times, I want to draw your attention back to Joshua chapter 6. So would you, would you be so kind with me and indulge me in going back to the Old Testament and Joshua chapter 6? Joshua is now the leader of Israel and it's so amazing how God used them, him and the people of Israel to, to acquire the land in which God promised them. Even though, even at the time in the book of Joshua, they didn't receive the full allotment of land. And one day in the future, we believe that God will give them the full allotment of land. Now that said, I want to share with you three ways that I believe that we can see radical, crazy faith and obedience to God lived out. The first one is from Joshua, not just Hebrews 11, but also Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So consider this first thought today. Crazy faith radically obeys God even if nobody else will do it. Crazy faith radically obeys God even if nobody else will do it. In Joshua chapter 6, of course, we know that Moses is now gone. He's deceased. He's went on to be with God in, in heaven. And now Joshua is the leader, and he's leading this charge of the Israelites going around and conquering the land in which God promised them. You say, well, I don't like the means in which God told Israel to do this. Well, listen, man, this is the way God did it. And you may not like it, but it's the way God declared it to be. 
You may not like the idea that God has now called the church to take the gospel to the four corners of the world, north, south, east, and west, to, to reach the lost. You may not like that idea, but that's the way that God has sovereignly chosen to be done. And listen, obviously in our American mind, we have trouble with chapter 6 and 7 and other parts of the book of Joshua. But keep in mind, every culture in the ancient world at one time knew the true God. They knew of the true God. And we see these cultures that Joshua is going through and literally leveling is the judgment of God being fulfilled through this conquest. That these nations, they raised their fists to God and were defiant towards him and rejected him and said, we refuse to repent and we refuse to worship you exclusively. So God said, okay, you want to worship these gods? You want to be involved in these practices? That's okay. But one day your culture will come to an end. And that's what we see taking place in the book of Joshua. In chapter 6, that place is to the people of Jericho. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6 of Joshua speaks about how Jericho was, was, was completely shut up and closed off to the outside world. Remember, it, our modern sophisticated cultures don't really do this anymore because we have helicopters and airplanes and drones that drop bombs. But in their world, remember, they, they didn't have any of that stuff. So to, to fortify a nation, to fortify a city, you built these high walls. And that's what they did. And then they have a gate to where the only way into the city is through the gate. Or if you can, muster enough courage to climb up over top of the wall. And if you were lucky to see the day, then you would just be speared at the top by one of the soldiers. So they were fortifying this place. Here, verse 1 speaks about that. Nobody could come in. Nobody would go out. They, in other words, if I may, they quarantined themselves in Jericho to protect themselves from Joshua and the Israelites because they, they caught word and wind that, man, man, these Israelites are leveling all these nations and we can't let them in here because if they come in here, man, they might beat us. And so the Bible says in verse 2 that the Lord, this is the, the, the word for Jehovah God, this personal God of Israel, the personal God of Israel is speaking to Joshua. Hey, listen, God wants personal relationship with everybody. He wants personal re relationship with you. And this serves as, the, as a key uh, example of how God is speaking to his servants. And he begins to speak to Joshua. And he declares to Joshua that they are going to conquer Jericho. Verse 3 he elaborates and they're going to conquer the king and overcome the mighty men of valor. Apparently, the city of Jericho, they had a great military um, a personnel. They were strong. They, they were advanced. And remember, the people of Israel, they were still nomads, traveling and living in tents. But here they come. And he says, you're going to encircle or compass, as the King James says, the entire city, all the men of war. You're going to go around the city once, and this will you do for six days. And then the seven priests are going to carry the ark 
uh, bear before the ark seven trumpets of the ram's horns. So it says the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And then it says the seventh day you will compass the city seven times and the priests are going to blow those trumpets. And verse number five, it speaks about how it's going to come to pass that when they make the long blast with those ram horns or if you will, the shofar that we understand in the Israel culture, what they used, it says they're going to hear the sound of the trumpet and all the people are going to shout with a great shout and that wall is going to come down and it will be flattened. What's interesting here is, is Joshua does not challenge God. Joshua does not hesitate at all. Joshua heard the word and complied. I think that's a great lesson for us today. For those that lead in the church, such as pastors and elders, that when God says to do something, we have to comply. We have to do what he says to do. And so here, Joshua, the sons of Nun, the first step he does is he calls the priests, these spiritual leaders in Israel. And he says, he says to them, hey, uh, you're going to have to take up this Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant had the tablets of stone, had um, Aaron's rod, and had the bread in there, the manna, the and, and anyways, they would carry that, and they had specific details on how they were to carry and handle that ark because on the ark rested the glory of God. And here it says that they did it and allow the seven priests to gather the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And in verse 7, what I find even more mind-blowing is that not only Joshua did not challenge, Joshua did not hesitate, Joshua did not scoff, Joshua did not murmur, Joshua didn't reject. Neither did the priest. Huh. Isn't that amazing? And so as I read these first seven verses, as I read them, as I meditate in here, I can't help but think that crazy faith radically obeys God even if nobody else would do it. In my mind, may I fill in the blanks for you? Joshua, in his mind, he has to be saying, well, I don't know if these priests and the believers here in, in Israel are going to believe this, but they just witnessed the Jordan Sea part. They, they saw that. They just heard about the previous generation where, where God did all these miracles for Israel in the wilderness. So if God says to do this, we're just going to do it. Or at least I'm going to do this. And I hope and pray that the rest come along on the team of Jehovah. And so as we reflect on this, there's times in our life where family members may not desire to obey God. Family members may not desire to abide by the teachings of Scripture. Friends may not. Our foes, co-workers, people around us, our neighbors, our culture may not want to obey God. But I, I think that, that if we're going to really have a faith that is crazy and set apart from, from modern Christianity, is that no matter what the world and the people surrounding us are doing, we're going to radically obey God and His Word. So I wonder, do you have crazy faith. Do you have this level of faith that when nobody else is going to do what's right in God's eyes, you're going to do it? That when God is stirring you to do something and leading you to do something, are you going to do it? Or are you going to succumb to the temptations of the world surrounding you and say, God, this is too crazy for me to engage in? How does crazy faith radically obey God? Well, it does it even if nobody else will do it. 
But may I draw your attention secondly, as we're reflecting on verse 30 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, moving now forward from verse 8 down to verse 17 in, in the book of Joshua chapter 6. Secondly, crazy faith radically obeys God, even if it sounds absurd to do it. Now Joshua just walks in, has this conversation with the priests, these, these leaders who are spiritually um, governing the Israelites, and, and well, check, it went pretty good, I guess uh, now we got to convince all of Israel. And Joshua, I'm sure, had in his mind that, well, Israel has a history of not wanting to obey God. Israel has a history of challenging God and challenging the leaders that God put in place. But these verses reveal something extraordinary. Just as Joshua happily complied and obeyed, and just as the priests received the word and said, all right, let's grab the ark and let's get the trumpets, the people of Israel were all on board. You know, there's a lot of people trying to trace the Baptist lineage all the way to Jesus and back to Adam. Well, they can't trace it back to Joshua because they were all on the same page in chapter 6 of Joshua. It's really, honestly. The interesting thing is, as I was meditating on this, as I think about the Israelites, I, I can't help but think about us today. Because here, here's the, the, the five-fold spiral downward progression of what it's like to reject God's leaders. There's a hesitation. We hesitate to follow the God-given leaders. Now, now, let me say this. For any pastor or elder that you might ever sit underneath, if they are abiding by the teachings of the Word of God, hey, it may not be your specific method or your preference or your, your, your type or your way of doing it, but as long as it is not contradicting the Word of God, we have got to get in line and follow suit. And here we see that the first step of of, of not obeying the leadership that God places in our life is there's a hesitation. There's a hesitant reluctance to challenge those in leadership. Now listen, I know that there are times when the shepherd might fall down and the sheep can come and help the shepherd up. But there's also times when the, the shepherd understands that if the sheep go this way, there's going to be ravenous wolves that are going to bite them and devour them. And so the temptation... For the sheep is, is they may not agree and are hesitant to follow the leadership, so they don't. Then as a result of that reluctance and hesitation, there's going to begin the murmuring and complaining phase where they're going to complain and murmur and chatter amongst the people about what is done. Oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, man, oh, Moses did oh, oh, making us eat this food. Oh, man, he's uh, smiting that rock out of there, getting us water. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Then the next phase is scoffing and ridiculing. Where, where you have the hesitant reluctance, then it moves into complaining and murmuring. Then after the complaining phase is over, you have the scoffing phase where you're on this mission to just be ridiculing towards those in leadership. Then you have the gossiping and slandering phase where you begin to say things that are not true about those leading. Then you have the final phase of rejection. Or they say, we do not want you to lead us, Moses. We'll see throughout all of Israel's history, they were constantly being engaged in this fivefold process to 
uh, get rid of the leadership God placed in front of them, or at least to not submit to their authority. But in chapter 6 of Joshua, none of this is present. And I find so mind-blowing. Because out of all the times that they were disobedient to the way God was leading the leaders, this would be the one time in my mind when they would be fully out in front and say, uh, Joshua, there, there's, there's literally no way we can do this, brother. Um, you want us to do what? To march around the city and blow trumpets? And we're going to somehow see the wall come down? But here in this section, verses 8 through 17, Joshua begins to relay this to the people. And, and they fall right in suit. And those in combat, those that are in, engaged in the war, warfare, they follow suit. And so check it out now. Crazy faith radically obeys God, even if it sounds absurd to do it. It's pretty incredible. I think that the modern church, even us here at times, can learn from this example. That uh, unless the leaders of the church are leading us astray from God's word, We've got to follow their direction. So I wonder today, which kind of Israelite would you be compared to? Would you be compared to the one that would be reluctant to follow the leadership and murmur and complain and scoff and ridicule and gossip and slander and reject? Or would you be the one that is like following Joshua and saying, if this is how God has led you, let's go. Crazy faith radically obeys God, even if it sounds absurd to do it. This was obviously absurd to the, to the people of Jericho. I mean, I can just see that the king of Jericho, I'm sure he was sweating it. And that's why they closed up the gate and shut them out and said, hey, we got to get people up at the top of the walls and, and let's, let's get, get our eyes out there, find the people that have the best eyesight so we can be looking. And, and I'm sure they didn't have radios, but you could just imagine they get the radios out and said, um, uh, King, sir, um, they're walking around the city, and they have trumpets. And I'm sure the king is perplexed. Like, what is, what is going on with these people? These people are absurd. They're crazy. Well, I guess we don't have anything to worry about. Let's just keep the walls fortified and the gate shut. And isn't that how the world looks at us sometimes? When we say, hey, I, I do believe the Bible is God's word. I do. Every word of it. I mean, I understand it all. God knows I don't understand it all, and, and neither do you, just to, to get the record straight. None of us understand the word of God fully. But what we do understand is that God expects us to go and take the gospel to the world. And through the, the, through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus paid for the sins of humanity once and for all so that those who call on the name of Christ can be saved. That is amazing good news. And the world says that's absurd. We've got to work our way to heaven if there is a heaven. We've got to do good deeds. But Jesus says, the apostles say, God says that the only way to heaven is, the only way to get inside the city of God is through the Son of God by faith. And that sounds absurd. And in fact, there isn't a level of obeying the gospel. And all that means is put your faith in Jesus. And if nobody else in this world is going to submit to the Lordship of Christ, I will. 
and I hope that you will too. If nobody else is going to absurd, live with some kind of absurd-like faith in, the, in, the, in, in this culture, I, I guess I'll be the one to do it, and I hope that you'll join me. Crazy faith radically obeys God, even if it sounds absurd to do it, even if nobody else would do it. But now I want to draw your attention to, verse, to verses 18 through 27. Through, through this section of Scripture, we see the fruition of this strategy to overcome Jericho. But in this section, I want to draw your attention to a couple of verses here, but specifically consider this thought. Crazy faith radically obeys God even if it's difficult to do it. All right, so God says, get the ark, get the trumpets, get the priests, get the army, march around six days, once each day, and the seventh day, march around seven times below the trumpet. Now, it's interesting. Um, I'm no rocket scientist for sure. God knows that, and neither are you. But do you think, maybe you're pretty fast, but do you think you could walk around the city of Roanoke seven times in one day? In redneck English, ain't no way that's going to happen. No way. Now imagine Roanoke County. It surrounds Roanoke City. There's really no way you're going to do that. Seven times? That's a lot. So I believe that because of this feature, the city of Jericho was rather small. It wasn't a large city, but it was a city built upward. And so it had these massive walls and had maybe story after story after story of building and, and houses and apartments, if you will. Condominiums, yeah, they could see all the nice views, overlooking maybe even seeing way down in the distance the Dead Sea. But here in this section, the Bible also gave, God also gives them a couple of things. We're going to talk about Rahab in the future, but, but next week, Lord willing. But, but he says to spare and save Rahab and her household, so they did that. But it also says, level everybody. Kill them all. Man, woman, boy, girl, animals and all, except Rahab and her household. Then it says, take all of the silver and the gold and the wealth, if you will, and that's going to be dedicated to God for a specific use in the treasury. And so here's the temptation. As we think and consider this, I'm sure it was tempting for these Israelites to come in after they blew those trumpets and the walls came down. And listen, we don't know exactly how the walls fell down. But what we do know is the walls did fall down. It could have, probably it was an earthquake. And it's interesting, the Bible says that after they did all these things, they even it burned the city. And so the more we dig into the past with archaeology, the more we discover how close and precise the timeline of this scene was in the book of Joshua with our idea of history. So it's interesting that... This place of Jericho is one of the most excavated areas in Israel because I believe it coincides precisely with the book of Joshua. But that being said, there's evidence that there is burning on some of the ruins, that there were high walls and there, were, there was like a couple different walls coming in. And so it was a heavily fortified city and it fell and as they go marching and walking up those walls and the ruins to get into the city, they begin to overcome. And I'm sure that, I mean, if anybody, I mean, imagine if you're walking 
down the street and you see a, a wad of cash that amounts to $35,000. It would be tempting not to at least pick up one of those hundreds. Maybe you're extra spiritual and you've never stolen anything ever in your life. Never even stolen time from your boss. Wow, God bless you. But here, we know that the story in, in chapter 6 ends amazingly. How they, it appears in chapter 6 that they did exactly, precisely what God said for them to do. And the vast majority of them did. And in verse 27, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Now this particular strategy of warfare was not done so that Joshua could get more followers and more likes on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Obviously he didn't have any of those things then. It wasn't so that he could be the, the, um, the front page of the newspaper or the, the first message of the herald out in the city. It was so that the world could hear about the faith of Joshua and the Israelites so that they would come to faith in the true God. But as, as we conclude today, I, I need to, to stress something, that this is an amazing chapter of faith, but after great victories often comes great defeats. And in chapter 7, you, you can't talk about the city of Jericho and the walls coming down without talking about one of the aspects that took place in the walls. And that is a man named Achan. You know the story. Achan, I don't know how much it amounts to, but it surely wasn't billions of dollars. He, he took things that he should not have taken. He took some money. He took some artifacts. He took stuff and he hid it in his tent. And in chapter 7, the Bible says that, that, that Israel was not able to defeat Ai with, with the little army they sent as a result of Israel's disobedience. Notice, the Bible actually attributes this as the entirety of the city's or the people's disobedience. But, but one man... Achan, you can go and study chapter 7 later on. But one by one, family by family, man by man of the household, Joshua brings in, and in verse number 19 of chapter 7, Joshua confronts Achan, and he confesses and says, I hid the money and the garments and all of the artifacts in my tent. And notice verse 21, it says he coveted after them, one of the commandments that God gave to Moses on a tablet of stone written with his finger of not to do, covet, that is having a lustful desire of something that is not yours and, and seeking to have it. And here he did that. And as a result, he was judged through death. Now I bring that up to say this, that crazy faith radically obeys God even when it's difficult to do it. I live in America, one of the hardest places to be a Christian. Pleasure's everywhere. Fame is at our fingertips. We can have whatever we want to in America. And it's interesting, as I reflect upon the city of Jericho, they fortified themselves in such a way that I believe what is being said is we don't want Joshua, we don't want the Israelites, and we don't want their God in our city. And I am just afraid that just like the Laodicean church locked Jesus outside their walls 2,000 years ago, that the modern church has locked the doors and burned the key and said, Jesus, we don't want you. 
today, we can either be like the Laodicean church and like the people of Jericho and say no to God, or we can be like this glimpse of crazy faith in chapter 6. And as a whole, except one man and family, we can pursue God with a radical commitment that the world looks and says, that is crazy faith. Crazy faith radically obeys God. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.